Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Seriously, man, you don't really think we're going to see any Canutes and 41 Rockies jerseys here at Coors Field, do you? I mean, no offense, I know you're a local and all, but that was a long time ago. You never know. I've seen some old guy jerseys around here, haven't you? In fact, I actually heard from a really good source. You mean you saw it on Twitter. Whatever. I heard that Chad Cool's wearing 41 now for the Rockies because he grew up a Milwaukee Brewers fan and he watched me wearing number 41 back in the day. That, you know, that's pretty cool, right? I see what you did there, Mark. Yeah, okay, wait. Look, he's right over there. Let's just go ask him. Well, you know, we probably shouldn't bother him. What do you mean? We're media. That's our job. Follow me. Uh, okay, but, but let me ask him. Hey, Chad, I'm Mark Knudsen. This is Manny Randall. We do a podcast called the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. He came up with the name. Congrats on your great start to the season. Are you liking it here? He's got a question for you, Chad. Okay, I heard somewhere that you're wearing number 41 here as a Rocky because, you know, I wore it a while back. A long okay, while back. whatever. I wore 41 in Milwaukee, as I'm sure you know, since I heard you grew up a Brewers fan and all. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, grew up in Delaware. Um, you know, kind of watched the Phillies kind of growing up, but uh, never really heard of you. So when they gave me 41, I don't think it really had some... Uh, significance behind it sorry yeah what's what show am i on it's the park adjusted rockies podcast and now here are your hosts mark knudson and manny randawa as the rockies fall from playoff contention it's natural for fans to look toward the future with gm bill schmidt labeling the team a draft and develop organization that shines a spotlight squarely on the recently completed mlb draft by all accounts the rockies did very well in 2022 MLB.com analyst Jim Callis joins the show this week to break down Colorado's recent draft haul and project what it might mean for the future on the field. Can't miss stuff for those with a crystal ball. Stay with us. We'll project right after this on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out Stoney'sBarandGrill.com. Many, it's been a difficult season for the Colorado Rockies. It just keeps getting a little more difficult and difficult, but they did have a victory of sorts during the All-Star break when they uh, had an amateur draft, MLB draft. Experts like our guest, Jim Callis, uh, ranked the Rockies the second best draft of of all the teams in Major League Baseball. Quite a shock for a team that's had trouble keeping their farm system loaded up. So uh, let's let's talk to Jim real quick and, and find out why the Rockies did so well and if he was surprised by that. Jim, welcome. Hi, hey, glad, glad to be here. Good talking to you guys. And let me let me uh, introduce Jim. Jim, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know if anybody is out there that doesn't know who's listening to this podcast, but Jim Callis is a is uh and Jonathan Mayo of MLB Pipeline the foremost uh experts when it comes to the Major League Baseball draft and the uh top prospects and rising uh, stars of the future so we really are uh, appreciative of having Jim on with us on, on this uh which has been probably been a week that's left him exhausted oh, but yeah. uh Jim thanks again and uh maybe sure. if you can give us some initial thoughts on on what you saw with the Rockies and how they approach this draft. And and as much as you can really grade these things before you see whether guys pan out, how they did. Yeah. I mean, I, I the, the caveat would be, I think the baseball draft, you know, like everybody always talks about the NFL draft and everybody grades and ranks NFL drafts. Like, Oh, you aren't going to know for a couple of years. And that's right. And I think it's even more true 
of baseball than any of the other sports, even hockey, because I just think guys don't make it nearly as quick to the major leagues from baseball draft as they do right. in other sports. So, so there's that caveat. And, and then the other caveat, I, I missed your caveat tonight, is that in baseball, you have teams with extra picks and those teams, their drafts always look good <clears throat> initially, excuse me, initially because they had extra picks. And obviously, you know, the Rockies had three, of the top 38 picks. They were the only team with two supplemental first round picks. They also picked 10th overall and they had their normal pick in second round said for the top 50 picks. So you're set up to look good. Like it would be, I, I didn't grade before the drafts who had the best combination draft picks, but basically the Rockies had a good setup. So if they're, if their draft didn't look good, <laughs> that would be a problem. Like yeah. you'd be like, well, wait a minute. Why didn't they do more with what they had? But, but that said, I mean, and again, I mean, you know, we rank the players and I'm not claiming teams should draft off our list or our list is perfect. Like even the, the 30 teams all have different looking lists, but the Rockies, I mean, the, the short of it is they were the only team that got three of our top 30 prospects. And they were one of two teams along with the Reds who got 10 top 250 prospects in the first 10 rounds. And most of their guys were in the upper half of that top 250. So I liked what they did up top. I liked their depth. I mean, the, the funny thing is, I will say this. And again, I haven't seen how it's all going to shake out in terms of who's getting what, who's over slot, how they're they're paying for guys. I mean, one of the things they did that a lot of their guys, they didn't have too many discount guys. They, they have a couple guys who are older, but not too many of them. So it wasn't like they took four really good players and they had to draft six cheap guys to, to pay for them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how it's all going to shake out with how they allocate their bonus pool. That said, I was a little surprised to took Gabriel Hughes at 10. I, I thought they liked Gabriel Hughes. I had, I had them taking Gabriel Hughes with pick 38 in my mock draft. So really? I guess I get half credit for that. Um, <laughs> wow. And I did, you know, like I just didn't think he was good. So I'm going to assume Gabriel Hughes is probably below slot and he's going to help them afford some other guys later. I honestly, if you had asked me, I would have thought that Jordan Beck who went 38th was going to go ahead of Gabriel Hughes, not necessarily 10th, but that said, I mean, I, I like the combination of, of Beck and Sterling Thompson and Gabriel Hughes at the top, but it, it's, I'll be curious to see how the money is allocated because um, I think Sterling Thompson is a second year player at Florida. So he might be in line for some extra money. Jordan Beck might be in line for some extra money because he, he went a little lower than people expected. And then the high school pitcher they took in the second round, maybe he's in line for some extra money, but other than that, they didn't really take high school guys. So like it's I said, fun, I'll be yeah. curious how they they allocate the money jordan beck uh is there any is there anything to the notion that he went lower because of his um his uh well pub you know his his notor it's it's a notable it's it's a notable um kind of situation where he had a walk-off home run and then he kind of uh, flipped everybody the bird um i don't think i don't think that was it i, I think okay. you know it, it's interesting because so like so Beck is like one of the more physical players in the college ranks this year. And like, I mean, do you like to see when a guy does that? You don't, but I think, I mean, I was a little surprised because this is the Rockies and they're very conservative. Exactly. Like yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I think my, my guess is like when that happens, you had I'm trying to think how much time you probably had like a month between that and the draft between, between my season and the draft. So if you were interested in drafting Jordan Beck, like they were in other teams, you get Jordan Beck on zoom. Like, like mm-hmm. you, and I'm sure I mean, you guys know Bill Schmidt. I mean, yeah. Bill, I'm sure Bill Schmidt was like, probably not, you know, like, they were like, what the yeah. hell was that? Like, I'm sure he was asked very pointedly, like, what are you doing? I, I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think, so Beck is a guy, like we had him ranked 23rd. Like we thought he was going to go in the 20s. Beck is a guy who's one of the more physical players in the college ranks. Gets a lot of comparisons to Hunter Renfro. He's got 
power. He's got solid speed. He might be able to play center. He's got a good arm. But the reason he went 38th, I think, is one, there's swing and miss concerns, and he hit like 240 in SEC play. And he was in, in, in the deepest lineup in college baseball just about. So I think when you dig down on him, that bothered some teams. And, and the second factor that might have played a part in it, and, and this is kind of the uniqueness of the baseball draft, is let's say he was going to go around 25th, and the slot there is like 2.7 million. Yeah, I, I don't know what his price tag is, but let's say his price tag was was two five or it was three. And then he didn't go in those slots. And all of a sudden it's teams like, well, I don't want to pay over slot for Jordan Beck. And again, we'll have to see what he gets. My guess is he'll probably get over 2.05 million. And you also sometimes have teams like it was no secret. The Rockies liked Beck. There were mock drafts that had him going 10th overall to Rockies, which, which again, that would have stunned me too, but it could have been a case where they're like, Hey, we'll pay Jordan Beck. We're going to push him down the draft. So I, I don't think that the, the gesture had anything to do with it. <laughs> and if you got like, I, I'm sure Bill Schmidt and the Rockies basically said, what are you doing? Like, 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 what are you, you know? And, and then, then they were just obviously satisfied with his, yeah. his answer. And, and, I, and I will say he, I mean, I'm not defending, no, nobody's defending sure. that, but it's not like he has a, a history or a history reputation stuff. stuff where you're like, kind of oh, in the moment, he just uh, kind of got a little crazy again, not defending it. And so I think you, you can buy that. Like his teammate, Drew Gilbert, who went in the first round, didn't do that, but Drew Gilbert like screamed at Sunday as an umpire and got ejected from a super regional game. Like Drew mm. Gilbert plays out of control and Jordan Beck doesn't really play out of control. I, I think that was an, and, and again, I'm not apologizing for him, but I think that was an aberration. Sure. So I, I really don't think that had anything with him doing going 38. Jimmy, you mentioned the, a lot of college baseball. I know you watch a lot of college baseball. Evidently the Rockies do as well. 22 draft picks, 21 of them from the college ranks. And this comes after a couple of years ago, where they drafted all, all college guys. Do you think that's a obviously it's intentional? Why though? I mean, personally, I I like the idea. I like the idea of getting somebody who's a little more grown up. But most teams don't do it that way. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you do have some. I mean, I think the general feeling is when you get a college guy, <clears throat> there's a couple things that they have an advantage over a high school guy, is you have more track record against good competition yeah. with statistics yeah. that matter. And you get all kinds of data. Most of the colleges have track, man. I mean, the showcase circuit stuff does too, but you just have more data, more track record. You've probably seen these guys in the Cape Cod league or some summer league with wood bats. So I I think you have comfort. Like you said, you know, Mark, they're, they're more mature. I I think, you know, like, I mean, I don't even remember, Mark, did you sign out of college or high school? I did. I went out of college. Yeah. Yeah. And what I was saying, like, I know just as a parent, not that my kids were going to be pro players. And I like to think my kids were mature, but like you learn so much about, oh, yes. not just in the classroom, about life, life. growing no, up in college. No, no I wouldn't want my 18 year old kid riding around on a, on a, on a bus in the minor leagues while also trying to make it in professional baseball. Yeah. So anyway, and manages money and all those other things. Yeah. Like, so I think there's a, you're getting more mature guys. They're going to be more advanced. You quicker to the big leagues. I, yeah. I know. I think in general, like teams are generally skittish of drafting high school pitchers versus college pitchers because of the injury risk. Although I will say on that one, I'm not buying that one anymore. So many pitchers get hurt yeah. now yeah. that I think you're like college pitchers get hurt. I mean, there were so many guys in this year's draft who could have been first round picks who were hurt and pro pitchers get hurt. And like, I think you could argue it the other way that maybe if you sign the kid out of high school, you can manage his workload yeah. more carefully well, that, that, to keep that, him healthier. That used to be the argument that the college pit, college coaches overused their pitchers and you were getting, you, you want to get a fresher arm out of high school. But now they play so many games by the time they're 10 and 12 and 14 years old. Yeah. It's almost a moot point now. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. But so anyway, that, that that's the reasons, like, like if you get college players, you know, they're likely to advance quicker and, and give your farm system a jolt, you know, more, more so than the high school guys. And, you know, it's, I mean, I'm trying to like, I, I will say like, like they're for like where they were picking it. it it's weird. Like there were some really good high school players at the top of the draft. There were like four guys who went in the first five picks and they obviously didn't get a shot at those. And then I think there was kind of a little drop off to next year, high school guys to where you weren't going to pick them at 10. And then all of those guys, like, especially on the position player side went before they picked at 31 and 38. So, but, but, you know, you saw what they did after that. It's yeah. you know, like I said, I'll be curious to see how they spread their money. Cause I got to think Gabriel Hughes is under slot. Jackson Cox or one high school kid is probably over slot and maybe they're paying Thompson and Beck over slot too. But Gabriel, um, Gabriel Hughes, uh, he, I think you had guys had him ranked. I, I want to say like 26 or something. 22nd, like that. Yeah. And he went, uh, he went number 10, but obviously the Rockies were keen on the college pitcher. So they got one of the best college pitchers on the, uh, in the draft. Um, and it wasn't one of those like uh, best on the board type of things. Can you tell us more about Gabriel Hughes and yeah. why you think the Rockies were so high on this guy? Yeah. And, and from what I've been able to piece together, I think they were going to take Kate Horton who the Cubs took at seven, who was the mm-hmm. Oklahoma right-hander who had a huge postseason. We, we thought he was the best pitcher in college baseball after the postseason. He's come back for Tommy John, you know, was a two-way guy at Oklahoma. So he didn't pitch in 21. This is Kate Horton had a seven, nine, four ERA during the regular season. Didn't start pitching until late March. He was a two-way guy at Oklahoma. And then the postseason, he was the best pitcher in the country. And, and I saw mm-hmm. enough of him where I was like, that's the best college pitcher in the draft. So anyway, wow. they were going to take Kate Horton, I believe at 10, but he didn't make it to 10 because the Cubs took him at seven. And I will say, I think what makes Hughes attractive is, you know, I mentioned before there were like, Six pitchers, not not even counting Kate Horton, who could who would have been first round picks, and a couple of them were, who had Tommy John surgery this year in the college ranks, and so the college pitching ranks were were just decimated by that. Um, and then you had guys like Kate Horton coming back from Tommy John, Connor Prelip coming back from Tommy John, Kumar Rocker, who knows what's going on with him. So the college yeah. pitching crop was crazy. So Gabe Hughes, you can make an argument, and the Rockies, I, I would assume, would agree with this argument. That of all the college pitchers who had zero health questions, Gabe Hughes was the best of them. And he, he didn't pitch well his last couple times out. But we're talking about a 6'4 guy who throws strikes with three pitches, 94, 97 mile an hour fastball, like sits there, got a wipeout slider that hits 90. He's got good feel for a changeup. Um, you know, he can work both sides of the plate. So there's a lot to like there. It's just we knocked him down a little bit because he faded. And again, when you know when we rank a guy 26, it's not like 26 is an island. Like he's much worse yeah. than 25 and much better than 27. Like, like in this draft, you had four high school players who were really good, and then you had a college position player group of about six players. And then once you got down to about the 14th or 15th best player in the draft, I think like from 15 to 40, it was I the beholder. So and wow. and earlier in the season. I could have seen Gabe Hughes being the, the, the 10th pick. And it's more, I thought he was going to last longer because he didn't finish strong and Kate Horton finished strong and Kumar was thrown in, in, in independent ball and Connor Prigley threw a good bullpen and, and whatever. And, you know, and again, I mean, they may have saved some money there to, to spread out to other guys, but I could definitely like, this wasn't anybody who looks at the fact he, we had ranked 26 and he got picked 10th, like, Oh God, what are the Rockies doing? You could, you could easily make a case that of all the college pitchers that had no health questions, and there were not a lot of those guys this year. Yep. The Gabe Hughes was the best of them. That's so a I, great, I, that's a great I think point. that's how the Rockies came and, after. And he seems, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he's, his, his profile almost to the pound and to the, uh, to the height, I think the height's the same. He's John Gray um, in terms of the stuff and in terms of the build. And so that was interesting uh, that, that they, 
that they went with him, although they, they brought obviously Gray out of high school in Oklahoma. But no, um, no, no. Gray, Gray was a college guy. Oh, was he, he a college was, guy? Yeah, well, yeah, he, was, yeah, he, he was drafted okay. out of high school. But yeah, he, he was a college guy. And like I will say, I think Gray was a better prospect at the same stage. I mean, Gray was a potential number one overall pick that year. And the Astros probably wish they'd taken him over Mark Appel. But, but I don't <laughs> think he was intermixed to one one. But anyway, but I, yeah, I, hadn't, I hadn't made that parallel but that, that's that's interesting you're right i mean they're, they're both fiscal guys with really good stuff i think hughes probably had better feel for the third pitch the change up and through mm-hmm. had better command um but but that's interesting i really like that, that by the way uh, by the way uh the, the the rockies are you know people around here are used to the cubs taking the guy that the rockies wanted <laughs> so um you know and they got it, chris bryant if, any, if chris yeah. bryant is any indi- any indication that this horton kid will be on this club in about 12 yeah. years you know, something like that. I, I've heard another not so favorable comparison uh, of Hughes to a former Rocky draft pick named Greg Reynolds out of Stanford. No, um, I mean, I mean, Reynolds I mean, was I mean, considered I mean, Reynolds was considered kind of mentally soft. Is that a, was that fair? Well, I don't think anybody considers Gabe Hughes mentally soft. I was going to say, right? It, it's a tough. If you compare like where they were at the time of the draft. Like it's a fair comparison because because Reynolds went second overall. Well, that might have been a little high. I mean, Reynolds was a consensus top five, top 10 pick. It wasn't right. like they just conjured him out of nowhere. And I think the mentally soft stuff is kind of like what gets said about you when you don't pin out. Right. If that makes sense. Like if, if Greg, if Reynolds had been as good as people thought he had a chance to be, you wouldn't hear that. So, right. I mean, I, I think you can say, I mean, they were both pitchers who went, you know, in the top 10. I mean, Reynolds was probably a better prospect at the time of the draft than Gabriel Hughes was, but obviously to be a better big leaguer than, than Reynolds was, is not a very, high bar to clear for Gabriel. Can you tell us uh, Sterling Thompson is the guy, this is the guy who will forever be linked to Trevor story. So um, <laughs> if you can tell us some more about him, because just by the fact that he's the, he was the pick they got from the Red Sox. Uh, that's going to be a story. Yeah. It, Pun it's, um, he, um, yeah, he, he probably was one of the better hitters and approaches in the college ranks. He's just a very polished left-handed hitter like he controls the strike zone he makes a lot of hard contact he's going to hit for average i, th- I want to say I, like it's all blur they, they announced him as an outfielder he played some second base at, at florida he can't really play second base so he's he's going to be an outfielder and i think like the, the question with him is you know how much power is it going to be he's, he's hit over power you know is it going to be 15 homer power is it going to be 20 home run power you know, he's six four, two hundred. He's a really gifted hitter. Could you get him stronger? Might he be a twenty-five home run guy? But like his hitting ability is the big ticket there in the approach. They went heavy on pitchers. Sixteen out of their twenty-two picks were pitchers, and most of them right-handed pitchers. And this, and as you mentioned earlier, this was a draft that really was considered kind of low on in terms of college pitching talent. Are there any sleepers in there that we haven't talked about, guys? That you think maybe were later picks that they were, you know, for better, lack of a better term, steals? Yeah, and I was gonna say, you know, in terms of like the, the pitching me thing, I mean, I, I was in that first round group. You know, once you got past the first round, there was some depth. I mean, like the the, the, first, the one high school kid they took, Jackson Cox, the, the high school righty from from Washington. He, I mean, there's some guys who thought he had his curveball was the best curveball in the whole draft. I mean, it's a three thousand RPM curve with a lot of power to it and depth. He, he's already you know sits ninety two, ninety four, touches ninety six with life on the fastball. Um, you know, bad weather in the Northwest makes it you know, a little harder to, to evaluate a high school guy from Washington, but like yeah. there's huge upside with him. You know, it's funny, Connor Stain, their fifth rounder. I think if the draft had been, you know, like, I don't think he gave up a, an earned run till mid April or so. And 
He's the only one they've signed at this point. Is that right? They've actually um, signed. I think they signed Zach Agnos. It's weird. Like some of these guys may be signed. They just like some of the teams like to announce them all at once. Yeah. Um, I, I know Agnos is signed. And I want to say maybe one other, but I can't think of that as off the top of my head. Like one of the lower round guys. But anyway, Connor Stain like might have been a, a second or third round pick if the draft was in mid-April instead of mid-July. Like, so he's kind of interesting. I'll tell you who I kind of like. He's not a pitcher. I, li- I like Brad Cumbest from Mississippi State, their ninth rounder. He, he, he played three years of football there. He didn't play a lot. He was like a, a backup tight end. But he's 6'6", 235. It's like a – I'm not saying he's going to be this good or he would have been higher than ninth on a pick. But he's like a fourth-year player. It's like a Gene Carlos Stanton look with, with the strength and the bat speed and the leverage and the size. And again, I'm not saying it's going to be Gene Carlos Stanton, but this but guy. There's that raw power in there. Yeah, th- th- this guy's going to hit balls 450. If you see, if you saw him take BP at Coors Field, he'd be hitting balls like 450 feet. I like him. And then like, I'll take that guy in the ninth round every day. Like if you want to talk about the guy who could be the steal, it could be Brad Cumbus. Like, <laughs> look, I mean, he's big. There's some swing and miss. He's a little bit older. So there's some risk there. But I'll, I'll take a guy like that in the ninth round. Any day, they like really, really like that guy. Well, you know, it's a type of guy I think that you you picture at Coors Field, right? I mean, the one thing that the Rockies haven't had much of. I mean, yeah, they had Arenado and Story and Lemayhew, but in the last couple of years, it's kind of like you know they're not exactly the Blake Street Bombers, you know, outside C.J. Crone, who was kind who was a pleasant surprise to everybody. Um, And so this guy just totally sounds like if he if he was able to improve in terms of, you know, if he was able to turn raw talent and, and raw power, I should say, into something special, that could be quite a thing to watch. I mean, when you talk about guys the size of Giancarlo Stanton, I mean, uh, that's that's what you want at Coors Field. And he's athletic, too. Like, this guy's a tight end, so he's not just, like, you know, this big slug. Like, he's athletic. Like, the fact that he was a two-sport guy gives you hope that, like, yeah, this guy probably has more, you know, he, he can improve more than the typical 22-year-old. So, again, I'm not putting Brad Cumbus in the Hall of Fame or anything, but, like, I really like that pick in the ninth round. I, I think their seventh rounder, Cody Huff, is interesting, too. Like, he, he's a guy who grew up around the game. His dad, Tim, was a longtime scout, played pro ball, had a nice year at Stanford. He's got some power. He's solid defender. Like, like it's injured. Like Cody Huff and Brad Cumbus are, are, to me, significantly better than your typical seventh and ninth round type guy. So I really like both those picks. I liked where they got those guys. Okay, you took 22 guys in the draft. And you mentioned before, this is like the crapshoot of all crapshoots when you're talking about the major league draft. How many of them, if we're looking five years down the road, how many of them will have to have been productive, successful, and, and look like the real thing for this draft to be considered a you know, win for the Rockies. Here's the funny thing. So like, and I, and I like the way you asked that question, Mark, because it's like, it's a lot of people be like, how many big leaguers are you going to get? Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter if a guy comes up and plays three games in the big leagues or a guy, you know, go, you know, hits 180 in a hundred games like that, that, you know, in the long term, in the grand scheme of things, those guys don't matter as if, if they admit it to the big leagues. So you're looking at, at contributors, guys yep. who contribute. And here's the crazy thing in a typical draft. Like I think the average fan doesn't realize this in a typical draft, there's like six or eight true stars total in a whole in a yeah. typical draft. And then in a good draft, if you're lucky, you'll have maybe two dozen players who have pretty solid careers. Like they're they're regular for five years or they're in a rotation or a bullpen. It's it, it's crazy. Cause every yeah. year at um at MLB.com, they have me do a redraft. I, I look 10 years back mm. and I redraft the the the, the draft in that year. So I did the I did yeah. the, you know 2012 redraft this year. Oh yeah. The 30 for, there were 31 first round picks that year. The 31st best player in that draft was Ross Stripling. 
Ross Stripling's been a nice big leaguer, mm-hmm. but like nobody looks at Ross Stripling as like, oh, that guy was like should have been a first rounder right. back in in two thousand. Uh, you know, he he was a fifth round. Nobody nobody looks at guys like that, and so that's what I'm saying. Like, it, the, the, yep. you're not going to. So anyway, long way of answering your question. You know, if you get two like productive, legitimately productive big leaguers, you guys who are regulars or in a rotation or bullpen for, you know, five, six years, you've done better than most teams. Wow. Like, like it's crazy, but that's, I mean, you'll teams will get guys to the big leagues. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think like, I bet the average team gets probably two or three big leaguers. Maybe, maybe so let's say three, three big leaguers yeah. to the major out of a typical draft. Maybe if we're going 20 round draft now, a lot of those guys are going to be like, oh, this guy had a cup of coffee or this guy was up for two years and he really didn't amount to much. I mean, as you know, I mean, the big leagues yeah. are tough. And that it's might hard. be. Like, no, nobody might... ever gets. Yeah, go on. I'm sorry. No, no worries. Uh, that that might be the best um, part of this whole podcast is kind yeah. of giving kind of this perspective on. Uh, and I, we, I appreciate the question, Mark. Appreciate the answer, Jim, because that's really. Uh, insightful in terms of like because like you said fans they they don't have a feel for what they should be expecting they're thinking nfl draft when they you just hear you just hear first round pay well then here's the funny thing too because i'm a huge nfl fan a huge nhl fan not so much nba but i think the same in terms of guys who want to be truly productive i think guys wash out just as much in the nfl but the difference is those guys play in the nfl like um, like i'm here in chicago Yep. I'm not a Bears fan, so this one didn't pay me personally. I'm here in Chicago. Everyone's like, oh, God, Mitch Trubisky. What a terrible pick. But Mitch Trubisky played in the in the NFL. Like, if a guy flames out in the baseball draft, he doesn't Never get there. there. Yeah. You know, and so it's a, you know, it's a different set of failure. But, but I just think in any sport, when you hear first-round pick, you're like, oh, that guy's going to be a star. That guy's going to be a cornerstone of our franchise. And, you know, we'll count, you know, Sterling Thompson and Jordan Beck is, you know, they're supplemental first-rounders. Let's say they're first-rounders. So the Rockies had three first-round picks. I mean, the odds are of those three first round picks, one of those guys is going to be pretty good. One of those guys is going to be decent, but not as much as you might have hoped for out of a first round pick. And one of those guys is going to be a disappointment. That, that's just the way the baseball draft works in the first round. The nice thing is with this portfolio approach, you had three of those guys. And then, like I said, Jackson Cox was, I thought he had a chance to go in the supplemental first round. So they got you know four really good players off the top. And like I said, I mean, Connor Stain's interesting. I like Cody Huff and Brad Cumbest. You got some interesting guys there, but like you very rarely have a draft like say the Red Sox did in 2011 when they got Matt Barnes and Jackie Bradley Jr. And oh, by the way, in the fifth round, we got Mookie Betts and we got Travis Shaw in the ninth round. And we got, you know, Blake Swihart who had his moments. And, you know, like you don't usually get that many guys out of one draw. There'll be like one, one team that has a really good, like a draft. Where we'll look back and be like, oh, they got four good big leaguers. But, but then most the av- the time- it averages out, kind of averages out yeah. to about two or three, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and like when I did the redraft yeah. in 2012, the most any team had in my top 31 was, was three players. Like I said, if you get three good big leaguers out of a draft, you've had a really good draft. So Jim, I don't know when the next time is that you guys uh, um, uh, redo your, uh, your, your prospect rankings. Um, and you're yeah, really soon. soon we're it... struggling. We're struggling, Mandy, because with the yeah. draft being so late and then like the draft's done and we're just like the teams like, okay, the draft way. And right now we're dealing with signs this week, just like the teams. And yeah. oh, by the way, the trade, trade deadline's, deadline's coming up. I was going to so say, it'll, yeah. it'll probably be mid, it'll probably be mid August before we, we, okay. We get to it. So obviously with the trade deadline as another caveat, and we've had talked about caveats here with the, the, the trade deadline being another one just shot in the dark, with what the Rockies have done, does this move them up soon? And because the Rockies have consistently been, I want to say bottom seven, eight 
something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking real quick. It's so funny because we did our farm. Last time we did farm system rankings was, okay, we had them 24th coming into the year. Mm -hmm. And you're right, because I'm looking here. We, we, we Going back to, in reverse order, to the 2020 preseason, we ranked them twice a year. We, so going, we had them 24th this spring. And going back the previous two years, we ranked them twice. The Rockies have been 24, 26, 27, 28, 27, which is not good. Now, right. granted, before that, they were one of the higher ranked farm systems and graduated a bunch of guys to big right. leagues. But yeah, I mean, they'll move up. I mean, it's funny. Every podcast I do that's team specific, <laughs> I get asked some version of a question like, hey, how much? <laughs> and, I, and I always joke. It's like, well, you guys realize every team added talent to their farm system <laughs> via the draft. Yeah, it's like, all, it's all like, like everybody, like theoretically got good. Now, that said, I do think the Rockets had one of the better drafts. So it'll it'll help them some. But like, I don't think it's necessarily going to propel them from. 24 up to like 12 or something like that and you guys um, waited you guys have you guys waited too by by where the talent is in yeah, the system I mean, it's, it's, because it's the rockies are so bottom heavy you yeah know. you're right i mean i was gonna say it's the most nebulous rankings we do because you try to balance how close guys are to you know upside talent depth hitters versus pitchers you got to look at tools you got to look at performance so it's kind of a yeah it, it's a it's a balance of all those things more an art than a science yeah. Yes. The Rockies have proclaimed themselves a draft and develop organization. But what way you're talking about two or three guys each draft, it could be a decade before they're a contender again with that philosophy. Is that fair? Well, I don't know. I don't think that one. Cause like, let's say you got two guys every year over a five year period, you'd have 10 guys. Yeah. Um, and that would be a really good nucleus. Plus you're paying those guys a minimum salary. So like, right. I don't think I, I, it's not like you need to get 25 or 30 guys, right. but, but like, you know, when you're rebuilding through the draft, you know, they did take college guys. Those guys are a little quicker. Yeah. It, it's not going to be a quick turnaround. Like it, it's a quick turnaround. If, I mean, nobody's going to hear me say this. Like if you trade Trevor story and John Gray and get guys who are close to the big leagues and they right. want to be pretty good and you can right. plug them in right away, but they, they, they chose not to do that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, that's the thing too. They have another decision coming right. up here exactly. with CJ Crone, Daniel Bard, guys like that. And, um, you know, they're 10 games under after they, they lost today, they are seven and a half out of wild card. They're 22 out in the division. Yeah, I mean, for mo for many of us, we, we pretty much see it as, okay, uh, you've got some nice trade ships. You could kind of stock the upper regions of your system a little bit with close to MLB ready talent for those guys. So obviously that would potentially improve their standing. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a philosophical thing with the Rockies and we'll see. I mean, I, we all thought that story and, and gray, or at least one of those two were going to be traded. I think Trevor's story, <laughs> Trevor's story, Trevor's story thought, thought he was going to be, he traded. had to take a day off um, yeah. the day of the, the trade deadline. So that's, uh, yeah, that, that complicates things too. But so around here, again, we, we, uh, we see the name holiday and, we are all feeling incredibly old. And, <laughs> it's too uh, bad they didn't have territorial rights on that one. I know, like, man. I like mean, if the guy like, like was an all-star with your big league club, yeah. you can uh, Yeah, you can like colleges. It. You know, colleges let family in for, you know, if you went there, you got a good chance to get your kid yeah. in. But anyway, like, so I, I don't think it was a surprise he went number one overall over Drew Jones, but maybe you can tell us just quick, uh, just to give us a quick rundown of, of, uh, of Jackson. Yeah, I mean, we had Drew Jones ranked number one. We had Jackson Holiday ranked number two. Um, yeah, I think Drew Jones has maybe a little higher ceiling. I think you can, I, I think, well, you don't make case. I, I think Jackson holiday was the best combination of hitting ability and tools hmm. in this draft. Wow. I mean, and, and the thing that stands out to me about him was, so everybody, obviously when you, you have bloodlines like that, everybody knows who you are, but coming into, you know, like coming into the year, he was kind of viewed as like, okay, he's probably a second round pick, like good player, tried wow. to do way too much on the showcase circuit last year. He was swinging for the fences, got a little home run happy, 
you know, showcase circles, guys are throwing max velocity, short stints, and he was getting up a little bit. And you fast forward to this year, and he started to like, I mean, you guys remember his dad, obviously, 6'4", 240, big physical athlete. Yeah, he's a little bit, he's a little bit smaller, Jackson is. Yeah, but he started to grow into the, like, you could see, I'm not saying, I don't know if he'll be 6'4", 240, but he got, he, he, he's he, filling he, out. Big, yeah, big year physical development. I mean, which is typical high school kids, but more so with him this year. And he was stronger, faster. The arm was better. He was quicker. And, and I, I've said this a bunch. So we had him ranked as a second round pick. And we put tools, grades on all the tools. I don't remember ever doing this before, but this spring I raised his grade. Like we, Jonathan and I split up the draft and Oklahoma is one of my, in my part of the Midwest. I raised his grade for all five tools. And I don't wow. remember ever doing that for a guy before. Like, you know, oh, this guy's swinging it better. Oh, he's a little quicker or whatever. But no, I mean, I, and, and you know, it was like, ah, he may be able to stay short, but he might have to move. And now it's like, no, he's a shortstop. Like took a huge leap. I mean, he's already a good player, He, but he took this huge leap and it, it made a lot of sense to me. Like I said, I, I think, you know, I mean, he has a high ceiling too. Like he can play shortstop. You know, Drew Jones is a center fielder. I think Drew Jones's tools might be a little bit louder. But I think Jackson's a better hitter. He, he broke JT Real Muto's national yeah, high school record hits. for hits, 89 hits, and put up crazy stats to Oklahoma. And I do think he's he's he, it's not an exact comp, but like coming out of high school at the same time, very comparable to me to Bobby Wood Jr. Wow, and I think yeah. Bobby Wood Jr., the arm was better. Bobby was a little quicker, maybe a little bit more power. Like Bobby was a little bit, the athleticism was maybe a notch better, but Jackson's the better hitter. And it's not like those other tools don't exist for him. So like, it's a really exciting combination of with the hitting ability and Oh, by the way, all the other tools might be solid or better. That's a great player, but yeah, it's too bad. You don't like, if you draft the dad, you get like, like they used to have that in the NHL. They had a territorial draft based on where the guy was, but like if, if baseball had a rule where if you drafted the father, you could draft the son, you get first crack at the son. I'm sure the Rockies would have said would have been with Bo and Bo Bichette and all that. Oh, Although yeah. they didn't drop, I mean, yeah. they, that would have been the. Oh, yeah, that's Angels. right. They wouldn't have had first crack at Dante. Yeah, the Angels, like, yeah. Angels would have got that. Hey, Jim, yeah. we got to let you run here, Mill. I just want to leave you with this quick question. Give us a quick answer. Uh, after this draft, what uh, what kind of hopeful message could you give Rockies fans real quick? Well, the, the, the quick answer is I thought they had one of the best drafts in baseball. I thought they had, you know, I ranked them second. Um, they got three of our top 30 players. They got 10 top 250 guys. I, I like Jackson Cox could be a steal in the second round. And like I said, I really like Cody Huff and Brad Cumbus. It was, it had everything. You had guys at the top with a lot of upside. But there's also depth too. They have more guys. I think who have a shot at being something in the big leagues. So I, I really like the, the the upside and the depth. And I really think if you're you're having a draft, that that's really all you could ask for. Now it's about all. Now it's about the development part, right? They got you know, if you draft yep. and develop, they get the draft. They got to do the development. Hey Jim, we really appreciate your your time as always. Uh, you're a wealth of information. Appreciate you joining us. Great stuff. Uh, great as talking always, to you guys. Thank I always you appreciate so talking to you guys. Yeah, thank, thank you guys. Right. Until next Take time. Right. Hey man, you got a closer for us? Yes, sir. All right. Well, stay tuned for that. This is the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. We'll be back right after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. 
The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. We had the great Jim Callis on today to discuss how the Rockies did in this year's MLB draft, and the answer was that they did really well. In fact, Jim wrote an article just after the draft for MLB.com in which He ranked the Rockies as having the second-best haul overall, behind only the Mets. But now the hard part. The second part of the popular phrase, draft and develop. Time to develop these guys, as well as those who are already in the club's farm system, which, as we discussed with Jim on the podcast, has been consistently ranked in the bottom 5 to 10 of baseball in the past few years. As Jim noted, the Rockies once had a stronger farm system. Remember that? With all that's happened in the past few years, it may be hard to. But Trevor Story, Kyle Freeland et al. came from somewhere. So how do the Rockies get back to developing young players like that? Because if there's one thing that can improve your farm system, it's good development of the talent you've already got in there. Especially when it seems unlikely that Colorado will be acquiring young prospects from other organizations at the upcoming trade deadline. Developing talent, particularly in baseball, where you actually have to develop it for years before it sees the show, if it ever does, isn't easy. Let's be clear about that. But for a team like the Rockies, in one of the toughest divisions in baseball, with the likes of the Dodgers and the Padres, it is absolutely critical that you do that well, or the chances of being competitive in the years to come, we're talking three, four, five years down the road, will be slim. A walk-off winner for many, it puts the wraps on this episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Our thanks to MLB.com draft analyst Jim Callis for providing us with a wealth of info and some positive news for the future. Next up, the trade deadline. We'll touch on that next time. Hope you'll be with us. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.